0: Working are to learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself. You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. Space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Episode 8 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our crew, we have John Papa. Hey, everybody, from sunny Orlando. Lucas Rubelkey. Hey, there, from Flooded Phoenix. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Sean Griffin.
1: Hello from dreary Colorado. Dreary, huh? Oh yes, cloud and clouds and slight rain—it's about the worst we get up here.
0: Well, that sounds like so much fun.
1: Oh yeah, it's a very sunny, very sunny state.
0: We we talked to you uh, on JavaScript Jabber about doing WebGL with JavaScript, and you mentioned that there were some challenges specifically with doing WebGL and Angular JS. And so I thought it might be interesting to talk about that on this show and see what specifically you ran into. Yeah, sure.
1: I mean, there's there was challenges, there were benefits. I think one of the more interesting aspects of it is it took Angular into a direction I haven't seen it go very often, which is when you have to have a really high level of interactivity from uh, for the user. For example, we've got an interaction where on the main canvas where we render everything, you can click and drag the mouse and that rotates the camera. And we just have tons and tons of these very lower-level interactions. And it was just very interesting seeing, A, Angular's built-in directives, how little you actually can compose them like easily if you're trying to combine just different types of DOM events, but then also just being able to isolate each of these individual interactions into a directive by itself and, and having it actually be testable was a very unique experience. I come from a backbone and kind of jQuery spaghetti background, so it's it's been interesting seeing the more complex interactions just sort of get segmented nicely like that.
0: So you created directives for things like pan left, pan right, zoom in kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like we've got mouse rotation, mouse zoom, mouse panning. And then in other places we have, you know, keyboard shortcuts bound to do the same sorts of things. And just every single one of those gets very, very isolated.
0: Huh. That's really interesting. So is it much different from writing a directive, another kind of directive?
1: Uh, I guess it's not so much different. It's more that a, there's just a lot of state because, you know, you have to maintain, like, is the mouse button down? Should we be responding to mouse moves, binding and unbinding event listeners? But then also just in Angular, it seems like you almost never have to manually be binding event listeners onto DOM elements. And that's definitely something you have to drop down to when you're doing these more complex interactions. Huh, very interesting. I've got this uh, this one file. It's a slim file, so no, so no closing tags, and it's about 50 lines long. And I point to this whenever I'm introducing new people to Angular. I'm like, if you want to see the worst-case scenario for directives, go look at this file because it's, it's 50 lines long, and literally every single line is its own directive.
0: So do you put multiple directives on your Canvas element so that it tracks all of these different events?
1: Yeah, I mean, we basically had to just because that was the, the target that, that most of these event listeners needed to work on, which was unfortunate because one of the limitations that Angular has is that you cannot have more than one isolated scope on an element. So if you want to have multiple directives and you want to use isolated scopes for all of them, you're basically SOL. So we had to take some different strategies. I think the main one that we ended up using was having a directive controller one level up and basically trying to isolate the interfaces that they interacted with as much as possible that way.
2: Pro tip. <laughs> so I don't know about not-
1: you guys, but I think it's the best practice to basically always use isolated scopes just so you have the explicit argument list. Agreed.
3: So can you can you explain expand on that a little bit? Because I, I agree with you, but I'm not sure everybody quite gets that situation because why would you not... Want to nicely an scoped, another thing I hear about a lot.
1: Well, that's the thing. We wanted to use an isolated scope, but it all needed to be on this canvas tag because, for example, mouse rotation and mouse zoom are both kind of separated uh, out into their own directives. And then it, one of them takes a control that handles rotation of the world, basically. And then the other one takes, has a control that takes the position, uh, moves the position of the camera closer and farther. But neither of those now can be given those controls explicitly just because they both need to live on the canvas tag. And so if you try and give them both isolated scopes Angular's is going to yell at you saying you can't have more than one isolated scope on the same element
0: so what you're saying is you can't have isolated scopes if you want to handle this situation
1: right and it was only because we couldn't break it out into multiple elements i mean that's that's normally in in a, in a normal application i think how you'd respond to that is just have an outer you know the outer element wrap the inner element and compose them that way and that just wasn't an option here
0: so how do you work around it then i didn't I, i'm not sure i followed that then
1: basically being very diligent not to access properties of the scope because now these things can access basically any property being passed around. So we have the animation player directive, which is sort of the top level, like composes all of the different components piece of it. And basically what we ended up doing was we tried to, anytime we would have wanted to use an isolated scope, we instead tried to create a segregated interface on the directive controller for this parent directive. And uh, working with it that way, which had pros and drawbacks but I did find very hard to mock out for testing I don't know if you guys have ever uh, have ever worked with that sort of strategy before could you elaborate
2: on the testing part this is I mean this is pretty fascinating I mean we're getting into kind of the, the bowels of angular I mean how did you test that with you know such you know an extensive amount of like kind of composition and, and sharing kind of that shared state across the directives
3: yeah and, and just to jump in there too so you're talking about basically creating a bunch of directives that don't use isolated scope that are effectively, um, I hate to use this word, but coupled to the canvas thing, right?
1: Yeah, and what we ended up doing to test them was basically in the test file, creating a basically overriding the directive's definition with something that had a much higher priority and terminal set to true, so that way we could create a fake controller to use there, and then having the template that we used uh, for testing just wrap them that way, and that kind of worked sometimes, kind of didn't work other times, and there were a few times that we just had to basically test the child directive through the parent directive, which I, I like to avoid, but just in this in a few cases wasn't really possible. Not for any specific reason, other than just obscure things that that I seem to not be able to mock out.
3: I think these are really interesting points because you know directives are cool and wonderful, and uh, I've seen directives almost take a similar path to me as things like store procedures did back in the SQL days, back in the late 1990s. And then by that I mean is once people started realizing they could use these things, they started doing everything with them. And I've seen applications that were almost like just a series of directives. And while that may not be bad or good, it depends on the situation, the problem I've seen it run into is you end up with what I call seven layers of directive hell. And you've got all these directives that work great together, but then how do you test them and how do you break them apart so that you can, you know, which ones do you test individually, which ones do you test as a group? And I'd love to hear more about your testing strategy on those.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing was we were never going to be able to do outside-in TDD on this because, I mean, how the heck do you write the top-level feature spec for? And it should render things correctly in three dimensions. So uh, we pretty much early on decided, like, we're just not going to have feature tests for this section of the application. So we're just going to make sure we unit test the crap out of everything in isolation as much as possible. And then in places that we could get the... Somewhat integration-y feeling, for example, our binary file parsing, you know, that's a good example of somewhere where we have that goes through tons of classes that get tested individually, it is nice to be able to just throw in a binary file and then here's the meaningless input to humans and here's the almost equally meaningless just because it's so large output that we expect but just being able to, to test for regression that way. So it was really just all about trying to find places where we could break apart small segmented interfaces and services, which I found to be much, much easier to test. And then in directives, just trying to keep as little logic there as possible, trying to keep the dependencies between them to a minimum. So have something, a template somewhere compose directives rather than the directives compose themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then mocking out directives is something that seems to be painful in some cases and impossible in others. So, when you say mocking out directives, are you
3: talking about actually creating like the inside the test, actually creating the HTML that mocks the directive itself?
1: Not even that. It's like, so a directive's template has some other directive, and you don't actually want all the behavior to worry about the behavior of like the directive in, that it's referencing. You just want to test like the ng if that it's got wrapping around it. Oh, gotcha.
3: So, I want to divert the discussion for a second, if you don't mind, because you, you mentioned something that's rather interesting to me. Uh, that I've been tinkering with recently, and so I thought it was opportune. You mentioned Slim. Uh, is the templating engine you're using,
1: I'm assuming? Yes, Slim and and, and Hamel in some places.
3: Okay, just curious of, I mean, so I know this is a WebGL kind of conversation, but if we could take a moment just to understand why did you pick Slim and maybe explain it to folks who don't know exactly what it is.
1: I picked it over Hamel because it allows you to have attributes on a new line, and Hamel's very, very touchy about when you can have new lines. And I just, li- uh, I'm, I'm a Rails guy, so I just like Camel. I like Slim, things that let me skip closing tags, basically. Significant white space makes a lot of sense for templating. There was no particular uh, like reason other than just I like it.
3: Right, because you could pick Jade or EJS or any of those other wonderful languages out there, well, templating things out there.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, well. And the app's actually going through the Rails asset pipeline just because it's backed by a Rails API, and we wanted to be able to fully integration test our uh, storefront side of it with it hitting the real database. So uh, we have also just trended more towards a lot of, a lot of uh, tools in that pipeline.
3: Very cool. Uh, I guess, again, and thank you, but getting back to the, the Angular side of things, so a lot of stuff you're doing with WebGL, I assume you're building uh, applications that are gaming and animation-oriented. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, the particular application that we've worked on recently at Thoughtbot was called Martial Codex, which is 3D lessons, martial arts lessons from motion capture data that play in the browser.
3: Cool. And how did you what what is like giving examples some of those uh what those tests would look like? I mean, what what would they be like? It should like destroy your enemy. Is that the name of a test?
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing quite that interesting. Oh, come on, tell us the real story. <laughs> I'm trying to find some of the more the more down and dirty tests so I can see if I did have any particularly terrible uh, descriptions. I mean, most of them are just like it updates. Um, it, it, you know, a lot of them just basically describe the APIs they call just because it's so stateful and so, and so order dependent. So
2: I have you a know. question, if you don't mind me jumping in. You know, you mentioned APIs and how you feel like you know, directives should be isolated because it does provide an API, and I completely agree with that. Is um, I think it's a nice way to encapsulate it. And that isolated scope does provide, you know, the API. Could you just elaborate on that just a little bit more? Your thoughts on that? Sure.
1: I mean, if you compare Angular to something like Backbone, right? In Backbone, you, you new up a view, and you say, here's your element, and you tell it to go render itself. And in Angular, we reverse it. We've got, you know, the directives are, are, are elements ways of saying, hi, I'm a DOM element, and this is my view. Uh, and in a lot of ways, you can look at them almost just like functions that you embed inside of your HTML markup. And it's essentially an isolated versus non-isolated scope to me is like depending on global variables or things that happen to be there due to lexical scope versus having a function a first class named function with an actual explicit argument list, which is not normally a decision that we make. We always lean towards not relying on global data. So uh, it's 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 sort of the same way for me with directives.
2: Very cool. Totally makes sense. Oh, hey everybody! Aaron, our favorite yet weird panelist, is here. Say hi, Aaron. Hello.
4: How's it going, everyone?
2: Hey, we missed you.
4: Sorry for being late. That's okay. We'll, we'll give you a notice next week. All right. well, no, my bad. I was at the gym. Sorry, dude.
2: You a to lift, fuck bro? You up?
4: Yeah. You know, it's really under impressive. The only thing impressive about me at the gym is the amount of sweat that I sweat. So. <laughs> that's awesome. On that note. <laughs>
0: Were you doing yeah. any martial arts?
4: No, I do. That's, that's mainly what I do is with my nunchucks.
0: There you go. Do you have any nunchucks animations, Sean?
1: Do I have any nunchucks in the animations? No, yeah. we do have cool knives, though. Oh, okay. Good deal. <laughs> yeah, you, learn, uh, you definitely learn a lot about all of the various tools of martial arts when you have to watch the same friggin' two second animation for three months straight trying to get it to render correctly.
3: So have you become a martial arts expert by watching this?
1: I have definitely not become a martial arts expert, but I, <laughs> I can probably reproduce like the two technical anim- uh, test animations that I was working with up until like right before we launched. Yeah, but he knows it when he sees it.
3: Uh, the Angular foo is strong with this one.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so were there any other just weird things that you had to figure out between Angular and WebGL and maybe a game loop or anything else that you have in there?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the render loop was interesting in that it basically so you're going to have the digest happen absolutely every frame because we've got things that uh, so a lot of our code is more focused less towards like video games, if you're thinking about 3d rendering and more like it's Windows Media Player, but for 3d animations. So we've got things like a seek bar that are going to update as the animation progresses. So we have to be very, very careful about how many watch statements we set up. It's very easy for us to also accidentally start setting up like infinite digest cycles because we have so many things that change so frequently and don't get referential quality in Angular. Can be a little bit wiggy about that. Uh, that's a few too many.
4: Infinite. That's, yes. that's a few more than you want. Just one yes. or two. Yeah, uh, it's a couple extra.
1: But it was interesting that our, our render loop did end up being b- mostly empty other than we, we do say, hey, go draw to the canvas and here's how many milliseconds have passed. But all of the other update the world type things that you would normally have in a render loop, we just don't have because uh, Angular's digest cycle just sort of handles that for us. And I thought that was really cool. So for somebody trying to get
3: into, you know, somebody's an Angular developer and they want to get some WebGL and they want to get into doing all this, where would you point them?
1: Gosh, I mean, basically OpenGL tutorials, which tend to be much more thorough than WebGL. Unfortunately, there's a big lack of resources out there, which is something I'm trying to fix at the moment. I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes, though, to a couple of a couple of sites that had good articles that, uh, that I worked with. Do you
3: use 3JS?
1: We were on 3.js for a while, and then we ended up having to move off of it due to some issues with it. We basically tried every library out there and had issues with all of them. So the final engine ended up being the fourth iteration, which is just no dependencies. So, we went from three to four. We did go Sorry. from three to four, exactly.
4: <laughs> have you guys talked about mScripting at all? And, like, writing OpenGL and compiling that into a browser language?
1: We have not. Is that, I'd it, love to hear more about that. Did you guys try that at all? We didn't. I'm actually, uh, I, I've, I've heard of it, but I'm not super, super familiar with it.
4: So, a guy I work with who. He's probably one of the smartest guys I know, and on top of that, one of the nicest, genuine people I've ever met. His name's John Geddes. We were working on something kind of like what you're saying, and I think he started with maybe three, but then he, he wrote it just in OpenGL and C++ native, and then he uses in him to compile it for the web, but then he can also compile it to run on native iOS and Android. Right? So some of our engine for visualizations will be the same engine Running on iOS, Android, and in the web, written all on like a native code that, that's super performant because it compiles into like a an ASM with WebGL type language. So.
1: That's pretty cool. We have been, because I'm actually working right now on the Android version of this. And one thing that we did find that was great when we switched to just raw WebGL is that uh, even even if we can't directly just cop like reuse the exact same code, the API wrappers that WebGL provides around OpenGL are so thin that most of that code is trivially portable anyway. It's just you know changing some GL dot to GL camel case, et cetera, et cetera. That's cool. That's awesome. One thing that, when we started on this project, they hadn't added support yet, but there are some lower-level wrappers around WebGL that have been added to Elm, and I really wish that that had been around when we started on this, because I thought that would be a really cool experiment, is to try building something like this on top of Elm, which is just... Have have any of you guys ever used it before? Mm -hmm. It's a language that borrows a lot of its syntax from Haskell, and it's basically... Uh, language for frp with graphics and data processing in in javascript and up until recently it's mostly been limited to to 2d stuff but it's really cool for doing like time varying values and values that vary based on user input in in a very functional way
0: awesome sounds like there are some really interesting options out there for that have you open sourced any of the stuff that you did in order to get those directives together
1: we have not, but that is one of the things that we're planning on open sourcing. Just it, it takes time to extract all of this stuff into re, an actual reusable library. And if people want to learn more about it, how do they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at sgrif. Awesome. All right,
0: well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Aaron, you want to start us with picks?
4: Uh, I'm going to pick Antarctic JS. If you go to AntarcticJS.com, it might be a JavaScript conference in Antarctica. I don't know. It's the sites there though. It says coming soon. So we'll see. Anyway, watch it. Love it. I read a book called Lock-In. I think one of you guys told me to read it. And, uh, it was okay. So I wanted to pick that. Like if you were looking for something, you've had a bad string of books. Lock-In was pretty solid. My Moto 360 is my next pick. It just got here. I'm, like, fighting to stay at work and not go home and get it because I want to I play with it. It looks really cool. I, I, I also wanted to pick, after yesterday, I wanted to pick this new Twitter handle. It's one of my favorite ones. It's at Keynote Scarf. And if you don't already know what I'm talking about, never mind. My last pick is an announcement for NG Conf.
0: Yay!
4: So, yeah. NG Conf is going to be March Tickets 6th. Tickets go on sale right now! I wish to. Um, It's going to be March 5th and 6th. We're going to be at the same venue. It's going to be bigger and better than last time, which is why we picked the same venue so we can kind of rev it and even have it an even better conference. Everyone's favorite speakers should return, and we'll have a bunch of other ones. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Call for Papers will be out very soon if it's not already out.
3: But yeah, It'll be pretty so, much the
4: same format as uh, last time that
3: was which was I thought was pretty cool where everything was like twenty to twenty-five minute sessions.
4: Yeah, yeah. Seagull track, rapid format. We're gonna have more after hour stuff, better party, cooler swag, more sponsor involvement, which is actually gonna be a really cool thing. The sponsors made the last one a lot of fun, like with DigitalOcean, you know, opening the bar at the hotel next door and just kind of trying to make the event a- fun for everyone. So the sponsors will get more involved in some of the events, and uh, it'll be really memorable for everybody. It'll be a really fun conference. So NG Conf, get ready, get excited. Tickets will be on sale um, the beginning of November. Very cool. If you want to stay tuned for updates, go to ngconf.org and sign up for uh, announcements there. Cool. John, what are your picks? Wow,
3: man, it's I, so anticlimactic. That was such an awesome pick that I don't want to pick anything. But I can't wait for NG Conf. It's going to rock. So... I do have a couple things I wanted to pick out here. One of them was uh, specifically a book that I've read actually a long time ago and I reread recently. And it's just one of my favorite uh, sci-fi books. And I love sci-fi because you know, we all live in the computer world and I want to like escape to a world that's not real. Yeah. So for me, uh, I read uh, science fiction like Tolkien and whatnot. And this book by Terry Brooks is called The Elfstones of Shannara. It's actually the second book he wrote in the series. And it's one of my favorites. And earlier this year, there was an announcement that this is actually going to become a TV show on uh, MTV, which is an odd channel to put it on, but I'm pretty excited about that, and it's uh, Terry Brooks, the author, is actually behind the whole thing, so it's supposedly going to stay true to what the book was, and I'm pretty excited
0: about it. Very cool. That's one of my favorite fantasy series, so I'm excited.
3: Yeah, it's a pretty phenomenal long series, too, and uh, they actually tied a couple of their series together. Uh, this one and then the, the Night of the Word kind of all got pulled together, which is kind of interesting, and He's actually announced this year that he's only going to write a couple more books and he's
2: done. Oh, so let me jump in here real quick. Sorry. is It's funny you bring that up because Audible.com is having a huge $5 sale, and one of the Shinar series is on there. So if you're looking to get into it, just thought oh, I'd cool. throw that out there. Which book do you know? I think it's maybe the second one in the series, but still, it's 5 bucks. Cool. Lucas, what are your picks? Two picks for me. I'm a big Jack Reacher fan. I think I've read all of but, like, two of his books. He came out with a new one, a personal I read it like the first day it came out. A lot of fun. I just like Jack Reacher's style. And uh the second one is actually a really good blog post that I read by a friend of mine, uh, Jurgen Vandermoor, and it's the nitty gritty of compile and link functions inside of AngularJS directives. And he just did a really good job uh with that. And I really like to write and do blog posts, and I think he did such a good job, it just really raised the bar for me about uh the kind of writing that I want to do. Cool. I've got a couple of books
0: that I'm going to pick here. The first one is called Hounded. It's the first book in the Iron Druid Chronicles.
4: Oh my gosh, such a good book.
0: Yeah, Aaron picked it on JavaScript Jabber quite a while back, and it was on sale on Audible, so I picked it up, and I listened to it in like a day. You loved it. Yeah, it was really good. Interesting news. Can I interrupt? Um, Yeah, go
4: ahead. In the Iron Druid Chronicles, he has these mini-books, like they're called novellas, that go in between the actual novels. And he just released another mini novella, like, yesterday. And it goes in between the fourth and fifth book, I think. So make sure and w- get the novellas along the way. Anyway. Okay,
0: sorry. cool. Uh, good to know. Anyway, the other one that I'm going to pick is it's called Finding Ultra. And it was recommended to me by uh, some of the guys on The Freelancer Show. I've been into running off and on for the last little while. And this is kind of sort of an autobiography but it's a guy who realized he was, he had just turned 40 and he kind of had a health scare moment and realized that uh, if he didn't change that he was gonna, he wasn't gonna be around for the things that he wanted to be around for. The thing that, that's interesting about it is that I'm finding that I have one thing in common with him and that is, is that I kind of have to go a little bit extreme in order to really get myself to do what I'm supposed to do in other words I'm really bad at balance and so the way that he talks about the way he thinks about things it just really resonates with me and anyway it's it's the story of how he we went from totally unhealthy to participating in ultra ironman competitions which are like double ironmans so anyway um really interesting and I just I'm reading it for some inspiration and you know to get some ideas and stuff he is vegan I'm not sold on the idea of vegan But just the overall, uh, his approach to life and how he overcame some of the stuff he overcame is really good. And I'm about halfway through that book, just to put that out there. So those are my picks. One other thing I just want to bring up briefly, I've been thinking a lot about the podcasts and why I do them and what I want to get out of them and things like that. And I realized that really what I'm looking for is finding ways to empower people to find more freedom in their lives. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about going freelance, but I am talking about uh, solving that one big thing or helping people deal with or cope with something that, that's hard that they're dealing with so that they can find more, f- more fulfillment and, and freedom. In what they do. So I don't have this up yet, but it'll be up by the time this show goes out. If you could go to empoweringprogrammers.com, I'm going to put up just a little survey there that you can take. I would love to get your input on how we can better empower you, help you find the fulfillment and freedom and whatever else you're looking for out of your career and your your life. So go over there and fill that out. I'd really appreciate it. Sean, what are your picks?
1: So I'm going to start off with pick that I know is going to be very highly controversial and contested here, but I'm going to pick MDN. If, if you remember the days back when like we had no real place to go for API references other than, I guess, maybe W3 schools, it just makes such a huge difference, and it's really easy to take So for you're granted. talking about
4: the Microsoft Developer Network?
1: Yes, the Microsoft – no, uh, Mozilla's Developer <laughs> Network. Uh, <laughs> So that's my first one. <laughs> and, uh, my second pick is uh, I've been playing a lot of a game called Hearthstone, which is this free-to-play trading card game that Blizzard made. If anyone out there is playing it and wants to play a game, hit me up on Twitter. And then lastly, I just wanted to throw something out there. For anyone who is using Rails for their backend or happens to have a Rails app in addition to their Angular app, please, please, please try the 4.2 beta and run your test suite against it and open an issue if you ha- find any bugs. It's very helpful. Are you contributing to Rails? Yeah, I'm I'm on the issues team over there. Okay.
0: All right. Well, I don't think there's anything else. So thanks for coming, Sean. It was really interesting, and hopefully, you know, we can inspire some folks to do cool stuff with WebGL and AngularJS. Good job. Yeah, Sean. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sean. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.